I've been around uh, the game of baseball my whole life, and of course I joke a little bit about it earlier, but I've learned a lot from the game, try to pay attention to it. I think it's got a lot of lessons that it can teach those that are interested in it. And from what I've seen, there, when it comes to the big moments in games, there are two kinds of players. There are those who look forward to, who want to be in the big moment, who love that, and then those who tend to run from it. And this, is, this applies, of course, to any particular sport or whatever it may be or in your line of work. I'm sure you've seen that. But from what I've seen, there, there are those, those types of players, the guys who love the big moment and those who tend to run from it. The first type, the guy who loves it, he's full of hope and confidence, and, man, he is ready for it. He's optimistic. He sees it as an opportunity. Put me in. I want the ball. Let me get in the batter's box, whatever. Hit it to me. And then you've got the other guy who is scared to death. He, he doubts himself. He's very uncertain. And he is secretly saying, don't hit it to me. I, I really hope my spot in the lineup doesn't come up. Uh, and if I were honest with the coach right now, I'd tell him, put somebody else in because I don't think that I can do it. I think what makes the difference in those two players as a baseball example is that one really believes in his ability and the other really doesn't. And maybe it's because they've not been doing what they needed to do all along to gain the confidence to do what it takes in the bigger moment. Now, I think what is true in baseball is far more true and far more important in life. I I think that you and I are going to face and are facing those pressure moments, especially if you choose to follow Jesus. There's a a great Bible story in Daniel chapter 3 that shows us what this is about, shows us how it happens, these pressure moments. So you've got a Bible handy. Let's turn there. Daniel chapter 3. It's over in the Old Testament. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and then Daniel. The Bibles that are there in the pews right in front of you or under your chair, that's the translation I'll be using this morning. If you want to grab one of those, kind of follow along, it's awesome. If you need a Bible, please take one of those. You don't even have to tell us that you're taking it. Just take it. We, those are there for you to, to use. If we notice that we're missing one, we'll praise God that somebody else has a copy of God's Word, and we'll just replace it. So make sure you take one of those. Now, what, where we pick up this particular Bible story in our series that we're calling Bible Stories You Thought You Knew, trying to learn what is it that God actually is saying, what is it we can learn about him, learn about ourselves, learn about Jesus ultimately, even through Old Testament stories. We pick this up around 605 BC, somewhere in there. The, the, the deportation, the exile of the, of the Israelite people, the Jews, has taken place to a, to a land known as Babylon. Babylon is the worst imaginable place on earth for the Israelites, for the Jews to wind up. In fact, later on in scripture, Babylon itself, that word becomes synonymous with evil. This is a place they didn't want to be. And God had told them through all of the Old Testament prophets that if you don't turn from your wicked ways, you will be exiled and I'll kick you out of the land that I've given you. And they didn't believe him. They thought there is no way that God would ever do that. And we understand that God has standards and we understand that he, you know, he's just and whatever, but he would never do that. And then he did. Because they didn't repent of their wicked ways. And so God allows Babylon to come in and exile and take away the people from their homeland, from from the land of Canaan, and deport them to Babylon. And so we pick up the story where Daniel and his friends are some folks that have been chosen to serve in the court of the king. They are, they are the best of the best, if you will. The cream has risen to the top, and, 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 and these guys are it. 
Daniel, and then we'll see today Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And if you've seen Veggie Tales, it's Rackshack and Benny. Those are the guys. So I will try not to confuse their names. But anyway, that's where we pick up the story. So these guys are having to learn what it's like to live godly in a very ungodly world. Maybe you felt that way. Maybe you look around at our society and you say, you know what, it's synonymous with evil. And there's just godlessness everywhere. These guys would know how you felt. Look with me in chapter 3, verse 1, and we'll get an idea of what's going to set the scene for this Bible story that maybe you're familiar with. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue. 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So stop there, get the idea here. He has put together this statue and he sets it up and there's immediately going to be a problem for the followers of God who are serving in his court. If you were to read, if we were to go back and read Daniel chapters 1 and 2, we'll see that these guys, they had... They had still followed the Lord in this king's court that was not following the Lord, and this is going to cause a major problem. They'd already decided to follow God, and now here comes the king with this statue that represents the king's earthly power. I wonder, have you ever faced a tough moment like this as a Christian, where you, you have to make a choice as to who you're going to follow, which system you're going to buy into in that particular moment? You probably faced those and didn't even know it. If you decide to follow Jesus, you're going to face lots of them every day. Now, here's what I want you to do. I got some markers. Did you all know we can hide stuff in the pulpit? Some of you are going to put some stuff in there now, aren't you? <laughs> so I've got some markers here, and here's what we're going to do. On, on your paper, you got your little sermon outline, okay? I didn't rehearse this, so this, I don't know how this is going to go. Um, I want you to draw a picture of yourself there on the, on the left, so kind of toward the top, top left. Now, I'm going to draw a picture of myself. You ready? This is what I look like. How about that? Is that pretty good? Can you all see that? There you go. I put some fingers, shoes, and some ears here, some eyebrows. Those are my eyebrows right there. They're kind of thick. I got all kinds of it, right? There's my self portrait That's what I want to look like. You know, I used to have really good hair. I really did. Y'all don't know this. By the time I came here, I had lost all my hair. And now I've really lost it. Ten years with y'all, it's, it's all gone, okay? But I, I used to have good hair. But anyway, that's what I, that's what I, there's, there's me. Okay. So you've got you, you got your picture. Okay. You draw your picture of yourself and then, and then, so this is you. Okay. And then we're going to just put the cross over here. So this is you deciding to follow Jesus. And we're going to look at this morning. What it ha- what happens when you decide to follow Jesus? What can you expect? Now, some people will tell you, listen, he's going to solve every one of your earthly problems. You're never going to have a problem ever again. If you only give this amount of money. You'll never have another problem. Do you know one reason why I don't make a big, big deal uh, of saying a lot of things before the offering? Number one, I don't want you to think I'm money hungry. Uh, I think that's part of it. But I don't want you to believe that if you simply give a certain amount to God, that everything in your life is going to be perfect. Nancy and I decided when we got married 19 years ago that we were going to tithe faithfully. We are going to give 10% off the top of our income faithfully every single paycheck. And do you know what we've experienced? We've experienced God's provision, but we've also experienced life as it really happens. It's just part of the deal. But we have seen God be faithful. 
But at the same time, I don't want you to think that just because you do those things, that's, uh, you know, that, that you're going you're gonna to have all your problems solved. Some people would tell you that, though. You follow Jesus, everything's fine. I'm going to tell you the exact opposite this morning. Just let the cat out of the bag. You see the little lightning bolt arrow that points down is where we're getting to in just a minute, okay? I know some of you like to guess what's going to be on the outline every Sunday morning. I've given you zero clues other than this picture of me and the cross. Anyway, all right, so uh, what you can expect, look at verse 1 again. He set up a gold statue, 90 feet high, 9 feet wide, set it up on the plain in the province of Babylon, verse 2. King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to assemble the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, or in in Callaway County, the magistrates. That was new to me, by the way. In, In Louisville, we call them magistrates. Maybe I'm wrong, but they're magistrates here. Anyway, we've had a couple in our in our in our congregation. So we, with all due respect to the Honorable Eddie Clyde Hale and Tim Todd, I used to call them magistrates, but they're magistrates anyway. So they get all these people together. All the rulers of the provinces assembled for the dedication of the statue that the king had set up, and they stood before the statue that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Look at verse four. A herald, that's somebody who speaks on behalf of the king, loudly proclaimed, people of every nation and language, you are commanded. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Man, this impressive statue. And all the people are expected to fall down and worship it. And then look at verse 6. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. Turn or burn. You've heard some of those sermons, right? This one's from the king of Babylon. You better turn and bow or you will burn literally in the fiery furnace. So here's what you can expect. You ready for this? Anybody know what the word is? It was, on the, it was on the outline from last week, if you still got it, that we didn't get to. So if you choose to follow Jesus, you're going to face, uh, I can't even spell. That's got two P's in it. Opposition. Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to make it look really scary. Doesn't this look scary? That's why I put a lightning bolt on your bulletin. It's scary. Opposition. That's what you're going to face. Opposition. Whoever does not bow down will die. If you do not bow, you will face opposition. Now, two different types of opposition that we are going to face. One is external. And this is the question, what they're asking here, all this external opposition we'll talk about. They're asking a question. Seriously? Mark Hale and I, that's our favorite question. Seriously? But that's, what, that's what's going to come from the outside. Listen to me. If you choose to follow Jesus, the entire world and all of its systems and all of its people, and even some folks in the church are going to say, seriously? That's what you're going to do? I mean, you know that's a myth, right? You know that that's all just a fairy tale. You don't know that stuff really happened. And you know not to get carried away here in western Kentucky. I mean, you know, we love the Lord, but let's not get too carried away with it. Seriously? They're going to face all kinds of external opposition. I want you to 
look at it with me for just a second. We look through verse beginning in verse 2. We'll just kind of reiterate and going on just a little bit. Some of the types of external opposition they're going to face. It, it was absolutely systematic, which means that the whole range of everybody, service, civil service employees, is all involved. Look at it again. The satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces attended the dedication. You have every level of ruler in the government. Let me just break this down for you. I looked this stuff up. Who all? Who were all these people? Who were the satraps? They were the, they were the chief representatives of the king, the princes, if you will, the protectors of the kingdom. They ruled over large portions of land. Then you have the prefects. These are the military commanders or the governors of the local areas. The governors themselves. These were these were known as the captains or the administrators of smaller areas. Then advisors. Those were counselors to those people that are in governmental authority. The chief of staff, if you will. Then you have the treasurers, which speaks for itself. They were the ones who handled all the money in the government. Then the judges, the folks who made sure that the law was followed and interpreted. And then you have the magistrates. They were the law enforcement. You're missing out. Old school Babylon magistrate was a law. You need a badge, Eddie Clyde. You need a badge. All right? We'll get you one. That'll work. You need a bodyguard. All right? Anybody want to sign up? All right? That's right. Got some folks after you for some potholes on the road, don't you? I hear you. Listen, if you were an old school magistrate, you you could be enforcing the law instead of fixing potholes all the time. You guys have got to get this together. Anyway, so what you have here is you have all the rulers. I mean, you see every level of government. It's systematic throughout the entire government. Everything was set up so that all these people would fall down and worship this statue. Pay allegiance to the king. Swear that they would follow this king no matter what. And then you got these other three guys that we'll get to in just a minute. They were also high-ranking officials, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now what's happening here is nobody was going to be required to give up their own deities. Just mix this one in. You don't have to stop following God. Just kind of water it down and make sure that it's tolerable for everybody else. So systematic, and, and, and it's also, it was also very, very vocal. This, this herald loudly proclaimed, look at it. He's yelling at people. And what does it say at the end of verse 4? You are what? You are what suggested that you go ahead and what? You are commanded. This comes from an official position. It would have been all over the news. This is what's going to happen. And everybody would have accepted it universally. It was also, as we've seen in verse 6, a very threatening kind of opposition. Whoever doesn't fall down and worship is going to be burned alive. It's a popular opposition as well. Verse 7 tells us, when all the people look at it, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and every kind of music, people of every nation and language, what, fell down and worshiped? It's just what everybody did. It was acceptable in their society. It would be weird not to. And as we're going to see here in verse 8, we see a very vicious opposition. Look at it in verse 8. Some Chaldeans took this occasion to come forward and maliciously accuse the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. You as king have issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music must fall down and worship the gold statue. Whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. There are some Jews you have appointed to manage the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men have ignored you, the king. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. That word there, maliciously, that, that means to rip flesh apart. 
in the Hebrew. It means to tear it piece by piece. So what you've got are folks, it says here, some of the Chaldeans, most mostly they were some wise men, if you will. They were sort of the king's advisors on, on uh, his spiritual life and so on. Do you remember what happened with, with Daniel? He interpreted a dream for the king and the other people could not. These folks are probably a little jealous. So they take an opportunity to rip apart these folks who will not bow to the king. And so these enemies had a vested interest to see these followers of God fall. And they go to the king and they accuse these guys and they say, you know what, king, we're, we're all for you, but these guys are not. And the king is shocked. Look at verse 13. In a furious rage, Nebuchadnezzar gave orders to bring in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar asked them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is it true that you don't serve my gods or worship the gold statue I have set up? Now, he already knew it was true. He already had gotten the word. He is floored that they would not get on board with what is going on in society. Here's what is said is the right thing to believe and to do and to follow. And he is shocked when they don't. And then he gives them a second chance. He says now in verse 15. Now, if, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music, fall down and worship the gold statue I've made. But if you don't, you will immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God who can rescue you from my power? He's shocked. You mean you're, you, what? Seriously? Come on. This is just what happens in our world. This is just the way things are. You ever heard that kind of line before? It's 2018. You're on the wrong side of history. Get on board. Interestingly enough, by the way, just as a total side note, those who would say that it is it's 2018, you better get with it. How do they know which side of history we're on? They would have to be all-knowing, past, present, and future. And I have never met anyone who knows the future. In fact, I once saw, I showed you a picture this one time, that outside of a, a meeting of a psychic group, that it was canceled. The little sign said, psychic meeting canceled due to unforeseen circumstances. <laughs> How'd you miss that one? But, but anyway, that's what they're telling them. You're on the wrong side of history. Get on board. You don't get it. They're shocked. And as the king does in verse 15, he tries to intimidate them. What God? can rescue you from me. Do you know who I am? I'm the king. And that's just the opposition from the outside because there's also the internal opposition. And this is where we are asking, what if? From the outside, we get that kind of seriously. You're really going to follow the Lord like that? On the inside, we're asking, what if? And what if everybody's against me? What if, what if God doesn't come through? What if he's not really there? And what if everything I've believed has, has just really been a myth? It's, it's not real. This what if, this internal opposition manifests itself in a lot of doubt, a lot of discouragement. Well, I've never met anybody who wants everybody else to be against them. Those people are crazy. Seriously. I've never met anybody in their right mind who, who just wants everybody to hate them. 
So we battle this as believers in Christ. When we feel as if the way that we're living, the things that we believe, the, the, the morals that we have, the things that we do, the, the following of Jesus that we do, when it's externally opposed, internally we begin to doubt and get discouraged and can wind up in despair. We don't get any record of these guys dealing with that. So don't let me read anything into the story that's not there, okay? But I wonder if they did, even in some fleeting moments, have a little bit of doubt. If they got discouraged in any way, if, if they ever experienced any kind of despair. We, we don't get any record that they did, and maybe they didn't. But it sure happens to us sometimes, doesn't it? I've experienced those things. I'll be honest with you, even as a pastor, I, I, I don't want people not to like me out in the world. And, it, and it's, it's real hard sometimes when you say, you know what, this is what I believe, and I believe that what you believe is wrong. Or this is how I'm going to live no matter what the rest of the world is doing. This is what I believe God wants me to do, and so this is how I'm going to live. And that, that creates opposition, and I, I don't particularly care for it. And sometimes if the opposition is vocal enough and it's vicious enough, and then internally I start to doubt enough and get discouraged enough, then I, I'm not sure what to do. What if God doesn't come through? What if people don't like me? What if it's all not real? We see in, in verse 7 what everybody did. All the people heard the music after they had heard the command to bow, and what did they do? They all bowed down, right? Except three dudes. Standing there in a sea of people, everybody on their faces before this statue set up on the plane that everybody could see, and there's three guys that are standing there. Even when the pressure mounted, even when the king found out, and even when the king said what he said in verse 15, that guys, listen, I, maybe you just didn't hear me correctly, but you're going to die. And there's no God that can rescue you from that. What would you do in that moment? If you're those guys, would you rant on social media about your rights? They can't do this to me. Working for crying out loud, they can't do this to me. Would you? Would you rant? Would you launch into an explanation of all the reasons why the king is wrong and you're right? I mean, here, here it is. Finally, finally, they've got an audience with the king, and they can tell him all the reasons. Why you're stupid and you're wrong and you're sinful, king, and you need to turn to the Lord. And that's not what they do. You know the story? Look at verse 16. This follows what he said in verse 15. All the, all the opposition. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. <laughs> Why won't you bow down? We're not, we're not, that's not even the point. We're not giving you an answer to the question. I will not dignify your question with an answer, basically they say. Here's what they say instead. If the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. Verse 18. But even if... He does not. Even if he does not rescue us, we want you as king to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue 
that you set up. They don't argue. They don't rant and rave about how mistreated they are and how much persecution they're enduring and all of this because the country has turned against them. They don't do any of that stuff. They stand there, and when they're called before the king to give an account for their beliefs and account for their actions, they don't answer the question. They simply respond in a statement of faith that says, we believe that God exists and that he is more powerful than any opposition we ever face, that he can deliver us, and even if he doesn't, even if he lets us die, we will not compromise in this area. We will not bow down. Now, at that point, you would think, well, the king would be really impressed with their faith. And these guys are sincere. And, I, you know, in our society, as long as you're sincere about something, that's okay. Do you realize that's not true, by the way, in our society? People will tell you that. Just believe whatever you believe. You do you, I'll do me, and everybody will be fine until you do something, say something, believe something that is contrary to popular belief, and then now there's a problem. Well, hold on, you told me just to be sincere. I'm very sincere. Well, yeah, but you're sincere about the wrong things. How is it wrong? Anyway, the king doesn't applaud them. In fact, he has the furnace heated up seven times hotter. And some dudes that are up there trying to light the fire and get it hotter, they die. It's so hot. They're overcome with heat. How are they Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? How are they able to trust God in this huge, even if, moment? I really believe it's because they had trusted him in all the smaller, less public, even if, moments. If you were to go back and read the first two chapters of Daniel, and if we were to get a chronicle of their lives, I guarantee you it would be one decision after another where they just simply chose in the smallest things to follow the Lord. They just chose in the smallest things to be obedient to the Lord. One after another, after another, after another, and then, sort of like the player that had shown up for practice every day and just done what he's supposed to do, shown up every day, every day, every day, done what he's supposed to do, then they were ready for the big moment. These guys didn't know that Daniel chapter 3 was coming, by the way. They didn't know what was going to happen. And had they not followed the Lord in Daniel's chap- Daniel chapters 1 and 2, then Daniel chapter 3 would have had a far different outcome. Let me, let me tell you something. I, I, really, I think that in our preaching, in our teaching, in our leading, uh, especially of either new Christians or young people or whatever, I think we have made the mistake of talking only about the big When your life is on the line, will you choose to follow the Lord? Yes or no? And we share those little things on Facebook. I'm not ashamed of Jesus. If you're not, share this. I have never shared one of those, by the way. If you ever tag me in one of those, you will be unfriended, period. It's over. It's over for you and me. We're no longer friends. I'm not doing it. But in that way we do it, oh, in the big public moments, if you, oh, I'll stand for the Lord. And we love those stories. If somebody who in that moment said, I'm following Jesus. And listen, sometimes that happens, but the truth is that most of us will never face that kind of moment. It's not going to happen. Not in our country. You go overseas somewhere and you're probably going to face it. But listen, if you live in America, odds are you're not going to face a moment where you are, you are, it's a live and die moment for your faith. It's probably not going to happen. But I think we face those kind of moments all the time. I think we make decisions on whether we're going to follow Jesus every moment of every day. 
Every financial decision that you make, every sexual decision you make, every relational decision you make, every digital decision you make online or wherever, everything, every job decision you make, every single thing that we do, I think comes down to an even if moment. In a million different scenarios. Am I going to give in to what I want right now? What will keep me from being criticized right now? What will bring some relief right now? What everyone else would have no problem with right now? Or will I trust and follow Jesus? We face those dozens of times every day. And I think that's really what following Jesus is all about. I think it's about every decision we make in life. I think that's where it started for these guys. Either way, either outcome for them, these guys had hope that God would take care of them because they knew God. There's an even if moment coming for you probably today sometime. Certainly tomorrow and the next day. It'll probably start sometime today. And you'll be faced with, am I going to follow Jesus even if it costs me, literally costs me something? Will I follow Jesus even if I I don't understand? Even if I have to wait in this particular area of my life? Even if I don't know what's going to happen next? And you see it there in your outline. In the face of opposition, these guys said, even if. Now they... They weren't saying, even if, I'll I'll follow Jesus, because Jesus hadn't come on the scene yet. But today for us, even if, I wonder if you'd just simply write it all out. And I will follow Jesus. You know, I believe they got to meet him that day. I believe he's the one who put up in the fire. It says that they threw him into the fire as the story goes on. And then there appeared a fourth man walking around in the fire with them who looked like the Son of Man. Do you know the favorite title Jesus had for himself? Son of Man. I believe that that was Jesus who showed up in there. Walking around in the fire with them. They had said, even if it costs us our lives, even if God doesn't deliver us, we will still not bow and worship your statue. And they got to experience something that was miraculous and incredible, that Jesus showed up. I can't guarantee you that he will show up in the same way, taking you through completely unscathed through life. But I guarantee you this, he will show up. And he is already there. The Bible tells us over and over that God has promised to never leave us and never forsake us. You do not go through this alone. You do not stand at the plate in the bottom of the ninth inning with the bases loaded and two outs and a full count and your team down by three runs. You do not stand there alone. I will follow Jesus. Even if. I'll follow Jesus, the one who who gets in the fire with me. I'll follow Jesus, the one who never wavered in his commitment or in his love for us, his obedience to the Father. I'll follow Jesus, the one who loved me and gave himself up for me so that I might live forever and be forgiven of my sin. I'll follow Jesus. The writer of Hebrews tells us the pioneer 
the perfecter of our faith, who knew the cross was coming and endured it anyway. I will follow Jesus, taking up my cross, denying myself, and following him. I wonder if you'd say the same thing. You're going to face an even-if moment. Your life will probably not be on the line, but your soul might be. I wonder if you would say, even if, I will follow Jesus. Resting in God's promises, I will follow Jesus. Last week, I talked to you a little bit about Joshua chapter 24 and how it's time to make a decision. I want you to know you'll face opposition if you do that. But I want you to know that we will be in it with you together. To walk with you as you say, you know what, even if (laughs) I'm still going to follow Jesus, you can't do it alone. First and foremost, you need the Holy Spirit living inside of you to empower you. That only comes with surrender and faith to Jesus Christ. And you need brothers and sisters in Christ, a family who will help you. So this morning, our invitation is the song that we'll sing is Amazing Grace. Our invitation is to receive the amazing grace of Jesus Christ who did for you what you could not do for yourself, and that is to make you right with God. And who gave you what you did not deserve, which is forgiveness of sin and new life. I encourage you. As Paul said, I plead with you, be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. And then walking out these doors simply with the motto in your life that says, I will follow Jesus. Let's pray together. As you consider what God has spoken to you today, you may, you may know of that area in your life where you're compromising over and over. It hasn't been given to the Lord yet. Or that area of your life where you, you just don't see God working. And it's discouraging. And you're at a point of despair and even lots of doubt. Or you're facing opposition at work or with friends or family and you, you don't know how to handle it. You don't have to come out swinging. You don't have to live in that doubt and that discouragement anymore. Just simply say, I will follow Jesus. He'll be in the fire with you. He'll handle the external and the internal opposition as he leads you through where he wants you to go. Our Lord Jesus, we thank you for going through the fire yourself, the fire of the cross and the tomb so that you might lead us through the resurrection. That we, Lord, might be crucified with you so that we could die, so that you could live through us a brand new life. God, I pray for the folks today who are so discouraged by by their, their thing that has them down. I pray for those who are facing such opposition from a culture that does not reward biblical Christianity. Lord, help us to follow you, even if. Give us your strength, Lord. We can't do it on our own. Give us your encouragement through your Holy Spirit, because life can get tough. And Lord, may we fix our eyes on you and follow you, even if. We pray in Jesus' name.
Amen.